0: Welcome to Staffing in Sync panel conversations with the staffing industry's top thought leaders on today's most pressing and important staffing and business issues. This is our maiden panel cast, the word we coined just for this occasion. I'm your co-host, Charles Epstein. He's Tom Kosnick, president of the Vysis group and the
1: staffing industry's leading expert. Hey, Tom. Hello, Charles. Uh, Delighted to be here with our esteemed panelists on this maiden panel cast. Indeed, the topic, the great fight for internal talent. So we'll be will we will be exploring some of the best practices, and uh, successful staffing firms are using to find the best recruiters and sales reps in the industries. I uh, I'd like to thank SyncStream for producing this series with our co-sponsors, Essential Staff Care, the leading provider of ACA compliant health insurance and benefits for the staffing industry.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Before we introduce today's panelists, a few words on this series. Uh, Every month we will focus on a different topic, improving organizational performance, efficient change management, strategic planning and goal setting, in-depth financial analysis, refining compensation plan design, process and profit improvements, and business value enhancements to help staffing firms across the country align their staffing operations with their core business goals and the bottom line. Tom and I will engage successful staffing industry leaders, CEOs, CMOs, HR administrators, et cetera, to share their real world experiences, insights, and perspectives related to all aspects of staffing.
1: Excellent, Charles. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to introduce uh, our wonderful panelists here. Uh, Rich Thompson, founder of Extra Point Group. Rich, industry is an industry expert specializing in leadership, talent, development, culture, training, employee engagement. Rich, welcome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. And Jerry Myers, Executive VP of Sales with QPS Employment Group. Uh, Jerry, I've known for years and years. Jerry, uh, glad to have you with us. Welcome.
2: Thank you, thank you for having me.
1: And Kayla Newcomb, Regional Vice President, whose job seems to expand every month, (laughs) Uh, Optomy, Professional Services, specializing in in professional staffing. Uh, Kayla, welcome.
3: Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Charles, for having me.
0: Oh, delighted. Thanks so much to all of you for taking the time. And obviously, for uh, everybody uh, attending this, uh, thank you as well. Before we get to it, a few words on the ground rules. Uh, During the panel discussion, attendees are welcome to post questions in the chat. We'll select several to pose to the panelists in the 10-minute Q&A following the panel discussion. Um, uh, Before we get to it, Tom just wants to say a few words to set the stage for today's panel.
1: Our, our topic today, the great fight for eternal talent. So at the Vices Group, we have uh, just over a hundred staffing clients. So we've got our ear to the ground on all the big issues that people in staffing are are dealing with. And uh, just wanna say a couple numbers, 11 and a half million open jobs on the market, five and a half million people looking for jobs. So two jobs out there for, for every uh, position being posted. Uh, the gap has never been greater and the the number one issue that we are hearing from all our clients attracting and retaining hiring internal people. The turnover rates are uh record number in the staffing industry and uh, just so excited to have uh, Rich and Jerry and, and Kayla here to uh, uh, talk about this issue about how they attract and how they how they retain uh, their employees in the current in current in the current environment.
0: Excellent, excellent, great. Okay, now let's get to it. Uh, Taylor, we'll kick this off with you. Uh, we are in a sales driven industry, and for sales positions, reps, and recruiters, compensation is of course king. Yet, new hires appear to be asking for higher salary levels and lower variable compensation. Is your company experiencing this dynamic? And if yes, how are you responding?
3: Yeah, um, good question, Charles. Thank you. Um, So for our our company, just to give um, some context to the the listeners on this call today, um, we've really taken a uh, build versus buy mentality as it relates to internal talent. And so um, we're building talent organically uh, through our college recruiting program, which we call the Academy. And so as a result of that, and the heavy investment that we're putting into our training program, um, we haven't seen this trend, uh, necessarily in the sense that they're looking for higher compensation. Um, last year, we did an exercise to, um, as the market was going very crazy, and we were seeing salaries soar. And um, we did an exercise just to say, you know, do we have the right base level salary to attract um, the type of talent that we're looking for? And so. Um, and going through that exercise, you know, something was going to have to give, right? We could increase our base salary, but as a result of that, we would have to change our commission structure and, and lower our commission structure. And ultimately at the end of us uh, going through that exercise um, and crunching the numbers, we came to a determination that um, the type of talent that we're looking for is heavily motivated um, and incentivized by a, a, a variable comp structure and a commission structure. And we believed that um, by increasing Increasing our base salaries um, and, and lowering our commission structure that would ultimately have a negative impact on our business and the types of talent that we were looking for. So uh, we came to the conclusion to not make that change. Now, I will say that we did lose um, some recruiters last year um, to internal um uh, recruiting opportunities we were not immune to that and we were not immune to the six-figure salaries that some were specifically in the technology sector so we were not immune to some of the six-figure salaries um, that these large tech companies were throwing out to our recruiters um, however when we looked back um, the folks who left our organization for those types of opportunities were not our top performers um, and we were able to um, stem the tide of any attrition um, with with opportunities like that by really painting the picture of what was possible um, on the commission structure um, i'll just add a little bit of color we have a training class that's going on right now um, that is north of 60 individuals and um, one of the fun exercises that we do after uh, lunchtime when everyone starts to get a little sleepy is we'll pull up commission um, and <laughs> we'll have them literally crunch the numbers and last week um they were like coming out of their seats like is this real is this, are we doing the math right on this? And um, and the answer is they were. And so when you show them what's possible, um, that really keeps them engaged.
0: Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Uh, Jerry, is your company experiencing this dynamic? And if yes, how are you guys responding?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're struggling with the same challenge. Um, we have gotten a little bit more flexible that at times we will start a sales rep out with a higher base. But same as Kayla, then I will adjust their commission scale and typically I'll only do it for maybe a four to six month time period. Because then I start to show them what they're missing in a full commission scale and right then that breeds the right kind of sales reps that you want in the staffing and recruiting industry. So it doesn't take long if I do bring them in at a higher base to get them to the normal comp plan that we have with the lower base with the higher commissions because I too I agree that's still why you go into sales. Um, And you want to breed people that are hungry and aggressive, same thing, we have a great way to show them and calculate, hey, this is what you would make if you were on the full commission scale versus the adjusted one because you have the higher salary. And then it's easy to move them over to our normal comp plan, but a little bit more creative, I would say in the beginning than I've had to do previous years here at QPS for sure.
0: Yeah, interesting. Uh, Rich?
4: Yeah, so look, it's a tough topic. And I, I think just for context, I'll, I'll come at it from a couple of different ways because I, I've been in the industry for a long time. I was uh, I, I ran a region and I was the CHRO for a, a big um, global organization. So I've got that context. But uh, in the last couple of years, uh, I opened up my own recruiting company for the staffing industry. So we're servicing a lot of different staffing companies in this space. And uh, as a recruiting firm, we're running up against—I mean, obviously, some of those issues. So, um, it's—I think what's hard now is that the market is so hard; it's—it's it's very difficult to figure out who is actually successful because of their ability and not successful because of the market. If that makes sense. And so, you know, that is—I think—a screen that I think is important on the front end coming in. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
4: I think to Kayla's point, you know, the power of the run rate is really important, and. Uh, I think we all we we lose that. I, I I had that when I first started at 117 years ago in this industry, and um, it was just you know you get fixated on bases and uh, commission plans, but if you can really start to focus on run rates, especially after three or four months, it kind of I think lessens the impact of the feeling that the bases are lower. So um you know the company that i started with really did that really well and i'd forgotten that i wasn't making any money on the base but by the time i realized that i was looking at a run rate that kind of diluted that sense and i felt a lot better about it but i think to jerry's point it's just flexibility i mean there's a lot of different ways and and i know that we have a couple of clients that just don't understand it's like look we we show them how much money they can make in the first year and i will tell you most of the Lightly experienced people nowadays are not thinking much beyond a month or two, and so they're losing the impact of kind of that bait of what the first year could be because they're not there. So, you know, we we have some client, and what you know, we we actually have three different plans internally. So it's a high base, you know, lower commission, uh, a low base higher commission, or a blend. So we let them choose based off of what they think they can reach. That gives them a lot of flexibility, but You know, sometimes you can get there with a sign on, Uh, sometimes you can get there with a guarantee, you can get there with a draw, maybe, I think Jerry, maybe you're talking about bridges, right? So it's, if they start hitting, you know, kind of gates along the way, they can start to uh, ratchet up the bases. Um, But it's just, you know, no matter what, in my opinion, no matter what you do, you know, you've got the leverage, you know, to make sure that the organization is getting the performance it needs. Um, and kind of protects the ability uh, of the organization to kind of be flexible, whether it's you know ratchet up the base or, or lower it as uh, as the performance you know starts to show out or prove out.
1: Hey, Rich, yeah. you, you bring up a, a fascinating uh, dynamic here with compensation, and that, and that is multiple compensation plans in one company. And historically, 20 some years ago, uh, I I would uh, advise folks on hey, have a comp plan and use that comp plan and, and whatnot, uh, uh, kind of advising them against it. But, uh, uh now it, now it's almost imperative, e- even small companies need a couple of different, two or three different comp plans. Uh, have, have you seen that with, uh, with the folks that you're working with in the staffing industry, the multiple comp plans? Yeah.
4: I mean, look at just who, who wants to carry the risk, you know, and it's, You know, does the employee want to carry the risk with a high variable or does the company want to carry the risk with a high base and i guess yeah so yes we absolutely see that but i think as a standard practice you pick the plan you stay to the plan until after the first year just so the risk mitigation starts to kind of level out i wouldn't let someone come in with a high base and then go through three months of training you know, because you're just like, so you're not, you know, you're not realizing the risk, I
0: think, or the reward off of the risk, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, second question. What do you believe are the top three most effective ways a staffing company can put their best foot forward in the marketplace to attract a players? Uh, Jerry, let me uh, begin with you.
2: Sure, I would say the top three would definitely be the culture, right, and the environment that the team operates in. Uh, We do a lot of, obviously, in-person interviews. They get to spend time with other sales reps. They get to spend time with branches. We talk a lot about our QPS beliefs because that is our culture that we live and breathe every day. We talk about our career opportunities or growth plans so that they can talk to other QPSers that have gone into different roles here over the years. So, you know, you kind of show them some long-term employees and all the different roles that they have had here to show them that they want a career. We have lots of different options, whether it is on the sales or operation side of the business. Um, and overall development. So we have lots of um, L&D investments here that we spend a lot of time on employee development and obviously tout that to the people that we're attracting to
3: to join us.
0: Excellent. Uh, Kayla, thoughts?
3: Yeah. So for us, um, similar to Jerry, you know, we, we do referrals, a lot of referrals. We heavily compensate um, for internal referrals as well, um, because we believe that good people know good people. And many of our top performers have been referred from their friends and occasionally extended family members. Um, and we find that that makes them really sticky in our organization as well and gives them, uh, you know, someone who's automatically invested in their success. So it's not just about attracting a players but then it's about getting them over the hurdle of the first you know 30 60 90 180 days in our business and when they're like oh my god what am i doing uh, imposter syndrome um and so having that buddy is really important so That's a no brainer um, for companies. Like I I didn't just tell you anything special that we're doing, but I think that to Jerry's point, the culture um, that you have is really important, right? Because um, people might not wanna bring um, an extended family member into a company that they don't enjoy working at themselves. So what are the little things along the way that companies are doing? How are you um, recognizing your talent? How are you um, making it a fun environment? How are you challenging your employees um, to? take on their next responsibility or to um, use their brain in a way that Exhibits their giftedness and benefits the company. So, you know, those are some of the things that we're doing. We're looking at an inclusive culture um, and and obviously a strong um, leadership team. One of the other things we do, um, we're very swag heavy. Um, I, I have over twenty five different shirts and jackets um, from the company, and I just celebrated my fourth anniversary. Um, and I live in Texas, so I don't even need that many jackets. Like I need like <laughs> one jacket, right? Um, but our our friends and family and neighbors and as we're going to stores they they see us wearing our gear we make it really cool gear um, that people want to wear one of my neighbors was like, what's OptiMe? I feel like I see you wearing that brand all the time and I should know it, and I'm like, my company? And he was like, that's funny. Um, The other thing that we do um, and um, we're not shy about it all is that we are huge on social media. So LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, um, and we do that because we think it's a great marketing tool um, for us, but it's a great, tool for us to attract A players. And so, mm. um, as I mentioned, we hire a lot of college graduates. And so their parents are very heavily invested um, in where their child is going to go work for their first job. And so their parents are doing the research oftentimes on us and they're looking at our social media and they're looking at our websites and they're looking at our Glassdoor reviews to even help their kid understand, like, is this a company that you want to work for? So um, one of the Um, account executives on my team, her mom is one of our biggest and most engaged followers on Instagram. And if she hasn't seen her um, picture on our Instagram in a while, she's all over her about it. And she's like, what are you doing? I haven't seen a picture on Instagram in a while. And so we're not shy about um, promoting the, the great things that we're doing in the organization, but the individuals in our organization who are doing great things. And I think when parents see that, they're like, shoot, this company recognizes their employees and like that could be my kid. And there's just a different sense of pride um, with that. And, and and I mentioned as well, Glassdoor and, and employee testimonials, you know, those things are really important and powerful to us too. So we're very um, intentional and protective of our brand um, publicly and privately.
0: Excellent. Uh, uh, Rich, by the way, if you if your organization is also swag heavy, I think Kayla really set the bar very high for you guys. <laughs>
4: Well listen, we were swag light before that. So now we're like
0: <laughs> now you're yeah. swag curious.
4: Uh yeah, yeah. We have to go to the swag store. So uh no, I get that. I mean it's there is something about wearing a brand on you that I think is really cool. And and I think if people are proud of it, that's obviously speaks to the reputation. And you know, we do a lot of work um um with uh, transitioning student athletes and uh, ex-professional athletes into the staffing space at the individual contributor level, so the term of a player is really kind of near and dear to them. And I think you know, in it simply and practically, it's when you look at when you look at your culture, it's a little bit of personification. It's like you know, if your company was a person, would you hang out with them? You know, and um, it's. Because you don't hang out with everybody and it's like what value do people bring to you so they bring you support they bring you direction they bring you communication. Um, You know, can your organization do the same thing, and I know that that's been said Kayla spoke to that you know I think really well but it's I think the first thing you have to do to attract a players is you have to have a players, you know and it's. You know, do you have the right people in the locker room? You know, do you have the right people in the organization that people want to join? So it's sometimes, I mean, I've been in I've been in scenarios where I've been in turnaround branches or I've had turnaround branches that I knew that I, I knew I couldn't get the A's out of the gate. So I had to go get, you know, I had to ratchet, kind of move my way up that value chain to be able to create a team that people wanted to be a part of. But um When I go when you know when I look at it practically okay for sure culture okay reputation, but the big ones right now is work, you know workspace, you know. Flexibility work from home, there is, I mean the hygiene around good leadership good development okay good feel of culture, but the reality of faster fast development track in working scenario those are the knockouts you know so it's like when we get people submitted everybody starts to feel good about the particular role i mean there there's a bit of a no-go or there's a bit of a go no-go attitude on the candidate side if they want flexibility or if they can't get it
1: Excellent. Hey, just to, i've got a couple of just financial questions what do you budget per internal uh, employee, do, do you have a budget number on uh, how much money you're willing to allocate towards their development? <laughs> Jerry, do you do you guys, do you all uh, have a number?
2: I don't think we necessarily, uh, that's a good question. I know it keeps increasing, right? year over <laughs> year, I would say that. Um, and definitely internally, like I said, have added significantly to our own learning and development team, as well as outside sources as well so it kind of is like we're hungry for more and more of it because it obviously is is working
3: yeah yeah we have that um so we recognize our producers based on what we call a sphere level um since it's based on their biweekly um gp run rate and at different levels um of spear attainment they have a dollar allocation that they can put towards training of Completely their choice, so that's above and beyond whatever internal training that we have. And um, for some of our folks, they'll invest in technology-specific training as it relates to their skill set that they're focused in. And for other folks who are, you know, maybe emerging leaders, um, they'll go to. Um, to different conferences or training or sessions or Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, Tom, is part of your group, you know, that's part of the um, training and investment that um, our our company makes in our leaders um, and and it's time and and money well spent. So um, we actually like to be able to give them the freedom to choose um, how to invest those dollars again above and beyond what we're doing just on a daily and uh, company wide basis.
1: Yeah, great, great. Hey, and the other quick question I have referral fees uh this never this doesn't make much sense to me you know, these companies they they pay a grand or two grand on the professional side for a referral why would they not pay ten thousand dollars for a referral that works out i mean if you've got uh, an a player that's going to bring an a player to the table what's mm-hmm. ten grand on that referral but yet uh what, what what kind of range do you all see on referral fees in the industry
3: yeah we're we're quite a bit north of that we pay very very well for ah, our well, good
1: for you. So it's there very you motivating. <laughs>
3: yeah. I was actually floored because um, I was used to um in a previous life more of that like 500 to $2000 mm-hmm. range. Yeah. But um, so we we definitely heavily incentivize. Oh, uh, that's great. And, and we split the we split it um over the first 90 days and then the second 90 days because that helps with the retention as well.
1: Nice, Rich. What do you what do you typically see on? Uh, so
4: look, that's a great point. And for companies that we work with, it's all over the board, right? It's kind of funny. It's like, yeah, we have a referral fee. So it, we give like a free coffee at Starbucks. I'm like, what the heck? You know, I mean, what kind? Of, you know, <laughs> well,
2: it is six dollars
4: now. Although I was going to say the same thing. It, it is like ten dollars now. So it's like, I mean, that's more than it used to be. But you know, Tom, to your point, I say this a lot. Is to your point, it's like, who cares? Who cares yeah, right. if, but you know, but the point is, and, you know, Kayla to kind of add to your point is, you know, why not, because there was a study once, I'll go back to Starbucks. I don't know why, but it's, there's a study once that I read, I'm gonna have this a little bit wrong, but their baristas, their turnover was horrible for the barista role, as you would, would imagine. I'll, I bet that's hard. Mm-hmm. And they realized that if they could, if they could keep the baristas past like nine months, they had them for two years, so, or whatever the, calculation was and at the eighth month they just injected a lot of development and attention to get them over the hurdle to keep them and i think to the point on the referral fee part of the trick is is that the they got to perform right so the referral the person who was referred has got to do well and hit the standards but you really want them for a year. I mean, in my experience, if you can have someone for a year, they're really starting to find their stride, they got their legs under them, whether mm-hmm. it's IT or professional staffing or even in general staffing. So why not put a big carrot on the back end? you know? <laughs> because again, as long as they're hitting their performance, like I said, where I started, it's like who cares what you're paying them because you're gonna get a lot from them and you're gonna get a lot of value direct or residual by having them there for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff. Charles, let's roll on to the next question.
0: Sure. Gallup polls shows that using a structured interviewing process significantly increases a company's success rate in hiring the right talent. Rich, let me put this to you. Does your company adhere to a structured interviewing process? And can you share any best practices around developing and implementing structured interviewing processes?
4: Yeah, so look, a real interesting kind of about face for me, right? So I thought, you know, from my previous life, we had structure, it was awesome, it was long, and I loved it, right? And now that I'm a recruiter for the staffing industry, I hate those things (laughs) because time kills all deals, right? And what's the problem is, is the market is super tight, super hot, And when you start to get a candidate engaged and you start kind of you know getting into week three week four the candidate has already realized that they're really good and now they've got all kinds of things and you become you know you find yourself in a competitive uh scenario so uh yeah i think you should have a structure but what here's how i would say it is structure this way and not so not in the event but in the process of evaluating, is the person right for you? So, you know, is their story credible? You know, will they do the job? Can they do the job? Will they stay? Will they contribute to the culture? And will you bet on them? So whether that is a one-on-one, whether that's a panel, whether that's a group, however you can, are they credible? Can they do the job? Will they do the job? Will they stay? And will they contribute to the culture? However, you can do that, Charles. You just have to do it within two weeks, or you're going to run into a competitive environment where you're, you know, you're, you know, you're messing with counter offers. You're messing with competitive offers. It's just you got to go right. quick. Mm-hmm. Interview fatigue now is real, and these guys, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, do as you consult to your own clients by moving quickly.
0: Mm-hmm interesting uh jerry thoughts structured interviewing processes
2: yeah i 100 percent agree with rich we have definitely um sped up the process to say the least so we too would like to do it within a week week and a half um if even less to be honest you know there's been times where we know if you have a decent first interview we try to move so quickly with that second round where that second round will become an afternoon, right? Where it's like, okay, we want them to meet with the sales director. We want them to meet with the region leader. We want, you know, so it's like, we wanna move fast. So you're always kind of taking a little bit of a gamble, say, hey, we want you to come in and you're probably gonna be here from, you know, noon until five, but at least we can kick it out quickly versus trying to schedule everybody's, you know, calendar and, oh, maybe a week out. It's like, just you can't behave that way anymore because the candidates have way too many options. So we definitely have changed that. Um, try to sneak in, like we talked about, a little shadowing because again, people like to spend time with another um, peer that uh, is doing that exact job, so they can ask a lot of those questions about leadership. You know, how does how does management work around here? Do they really follow the beliefs? All those questions that you really do want them to ask. Uh, we want to make sure that they get that opportunity to do so, but then move quickly with that job offer and and try to get them in the door quickly.
0: Yes, uh, Kayla.
3: So I would describe our interview process as more of a framework than a structure. So we have guardrails um, and a general stage gates of um, of our process. And remember, again, you know, by and large, we're hiring um, new college graduates, and so um, we we've got an initial interview um, with them, and then a longer in depth um, teams interview, and then the culmination is that they have to do a presentation. Um, and so that's really where I think we get. The most structured in the sense that we've got, um, you know, certain criteria that we are looking for in their presentation, but there's a lot, intentionally, a lot of freedom and gray area in the presentation because we want to see um, their creativity. We want to see their presentation skills. Uh, we give mm-hmm. them the opportunity to pitch us and to sell us on any topic in the whole entire world. Um, and it's, fascinating to see what they choose. Um, We have had everything from scuba diving and restoring old cars to one girl tried to convince me to watch more TV. Um, I didn't hire her. That's probably not a surprise. Um, and we talked about it for 15 minutes. It was probably the most cringy interview that I've ever had um, in my entire life. But you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad that I spent that 15 minutes, because what that meant is that I didn't spend 12 weeks investing in in training that individual. Um, a, another example is I just had somebody, um, interview last week and she uh, it was kind of an awkward transition in the presentation because they have to present about themselves and why they're interested in the industry and that sort of thing and then um and she just paused in the middle of the presentation and said um so what's your favorite social media and i was like um in what context like i was like what what are you asking me and it was a transition question to sales and so i was like well you know probably Instagram. I've heard that TikTok's really addicting, but I don't really have time to spend hours on TikTok. So I, I wouldn't say TikTok. And she was like, well, this is going to be really interesting because I'm going to sell you on why you should use TikTok. And I immediately liked that because she heard me say, I'm not interested in TikTok. And she said, we're staying the course and I'm going to change your mind about that. Attributes of a good salesperson or potentially a good salesperson, right? So because of the design of the interviewing process um, that opened up that door for us to see uh, that side of her. So um, I would say again framework not a defined structure for us. Uh, when we do find somebody that we like that's outside of our training program, we move really really fast.
1: Hey uh, Kayla, what, what what's your favorite interviewing question and, and why is it why is it your favorite?
3: Have we talked about this?
1: But uh, no, I don't think we have. Oh
3: my God. Okay, so I'm notorious. I'll, I'll give away the farm here. Um, I have one question that I always ask every single person that interviews with me. I'm hiring salespeople, um, and I'm going to show them and tell them how to do the job. And I'm confident that our training program is going to help them be successful. So I ask one question, one question only in every single uh, interview. And I point to this picture behind me, and I say, if I was going to ask you to hang this picture, how would you do it? And then I just stop talking and I wait for them to tell me and they could tell me anything in the world, but what i'm really looking for them to tell me in some form or fashion is to say i'm going to. grab a nail i'm going to point at the wall and i'm going to hammer it in the wall because that's what i'm looking for i'm looking for doers i'm not looking for people who are going to spend three hours at the hardware store looking for the right nail and who are going (laughs) to. measure and do all the things like that's not actually how i'd hang a picture on my wall but it's pretty close. And uh, and then I ask them a follow-up question a, a lot of times, and I'll say, "So if it's crooked, what would you do?" And I'm looking for them to just say, "I'll just tweak it up a little, right? Because they're gonna make mistakes, and I don't want them to be freaked out by mistakes. and I don't want them to restart the whole entire thing. Just fix it. It's simple.
1: Jerry, hot, thank, thank you. How, Jerry, how about you? What's your favorite inter- interviewing question?
3: My favorite typically is always
2: asking them, you know, what have they been? Their biggest accomplishment, obviously, in the sales capacity. And then, of course, I follow their biggest lesson because that always gives you a nice inside look um, to to those you know those the two sides, right? the the strengths and the weaknesses, but it's like how they tell it, how what they learn from their mistakes, all that type of yeah. thing. So typically those are still my my favorite
1: ones. Rich, how about you?
4: Yeah, so look, I mean, simply, I just I always start with just tell me your story. And I, and and that's it. And then it's because it tells me a lot of where they start. I mean, I might add, you know, go back as far as you think that, you know, that you need to go, that you feel like it will be relevant for me to understand who you are. But I mean, that goes back to, you know, it can go back to, you know, it all started on a cold day in 1969 in the Southeast of France, or it could just start with my last job. So it, I think that's awfully telling for who they are and what they're proud of.
2: No, and see and season sales reps know their numbers, right? That's always yeah. enough tell season sales reps know their numbers. Last the year was X. You know, yeah. that are like, I'm not sure I gotta look. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, yeah, so look, Jerry,
4: that's sales. I find that to be really shocking. And that's an absolute quick knockout. Yep. Because I will I've not been in this, I've not been in other industries, so I don't know how it works. But you know, our, our industry is almost like Amway. I mean, it's like total transparency. Everybody knows what the numbers are, or at least what a number is and how that number ranks to everyone else. I mean, it's awesome, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'll get these people that'll come in and um, because everyone measures just a little bit different, whether it's spread or weekly GP or whatever. And uh, these people are hotshot salespeople. And it's like, all right, so tell me what your numbers are. They're like, uh, Good, yeah. You know? like, and well, how does that rank up against others? And there, it's like they have no idea. It's like, oh, right. how, how am I supposed to submit you to anybody if
1: you don't know what your own numbers are? Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hey Charles, can can we uh, move to the <clears throat> question on employee engagement?
0: Sure. Um, Research shows that if a company increases employee engagement, turnover decreases and net income increases. Um, Kayla, can you tell us specifically what your company does to increase employee engagement?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I love this question and it's something I'm incredibly passionate about and something that attracted me to OPS four years ago. I saw the strong culture. I had heard about the strong culture uh, and immediately uh, started to live it um, in the form of uh, getting engaged and um, and just overall like celebration. We, we make a really big deal when somebody joins our company. We make a really big deal when they set milestones. I had these streamers and decorations behind me because Saturday was my four year anniversary. So the team came in and decorated my office. Um, there were more decorations on my desk and champagne and uh, and they really went above and beyond to recognize a, a four year anniversary, um, which meant a lot to me. Um, more than that though, I think that we have a foundational belief that culture is in the hands of our employees. And we preach that. It's not, um, it's too much for culture to just be on the leader team. Um, there are so many things that um, go into having a highly engaged culture, um, and it's the little things that make the big things happen, and we really do believe that. So we have uh, various committees within a culture committee. So we have subcommittees, a birthday and anniversary committee, a social committee, and all they're responsible for is the fun things in the office, whether that be you know impromptu happy hours or coordinated um, efforts across all of our offices and branch locations. So uh, Big Margarita Day, we had a huge Go to Mayo party um, that all of the offices then coordinated, we have a giving back committee and um, giving back is um, core to who we are as a company, um, and before we ever made our first dollar, um, we gave back um, in the form of our time, um, and in the form of um, feeding food and secure children and so it takes a lot to keep that committee running, um, and so we have. Um, individuals and producers on our teams that volunteer for those committees. And they put on all of the different events, whether it be quarterly give back events or our annual um, give back event with our new college training program, um, we started a committee, uh, an amigos program is what they're called. And it's really, a, it's a buddy. Um, so it's a buddy for um, each of the individuals who are going through our training program. Um, and we introduce them to someone um, who would not be their direct leader in the market that they're going to. And so they're they're having that connection um, and, and they're asking simple questions like, hey, where should I live when I move to Dallas? Um, I'm thinking about this area. What would you recommend? Um, and amigos um, will go whenever they move in and they'll, you know, bring them some swag and uh, maybe a snow cone or an ice cream if they move in the middle of August in this crazy heat wave that we're having. Um, But just just somebody, um, another connection. Um, So we're really passionate about that. We also do um, quarterly surveys what do people want? Like, what are they enjoying? What, how are they feeling rewarded? Um, where do they want us to allocate our time and recognition and ultimately our dollars? Um, and then finally, um, we do have a performance trip every year um, as well. Um, and it's a really big deal and we make a really big deal about it. And we and it's something that we talk about on a weekly basis. And so um, it's massively rewarding to those um, who attend. And it, And we also see a, a huge return uh, Turn on that investment for months afterwards, because that employee engagement um, and their productivity really spikes after that trip because they're focused on how are they how are they going to get back.
0: Oh, great. Well, after this uh, panel, Kelly, you're gonna have to tell me how I can apply to OPS. Uh, <laughs> but moving right along, uh, Jerry, employee engagement.
2: Yeah, definitely a hot topic as well that we spend lots of time talking about. Um, we do a lot of ta- town hall meetings. Um, so we definitely have learned, right? Every time you do a survey, that the employees always want more and more communication. So we definitely have COVID probably forced our hands with that, but ironically, it's something that we want to keep in our culture, where the exec team is jumping on a Zoom call company wide and giving updates and letting them ask questions, right? So that they have a voice and we're listening to all the employees. But it's everything. It's handwritten cards, so, you know. It's phone calls. It's um, jumping on a plane and visiting branches that are throughout our nine states that we're in now, too, so that we do high touch with all of our employees, um, do lots of recognition on our QPS SharePoint, on Yammer, um, same thing, we do uh, trips for the sales reps if they hit a certain amount of new gross profit, so that's um, very memorable for themselves and for their family. We do anniversary service awards five years, 10 years, 15 years, that type of thing, too. So anything possible because retention, right, is just the ultimate goal, right? The longer you keep your team, the more successful the company is. So engagement is top of mind every day. And then same as Kayla, you want to breed it, right? So I always say, whenever I got a newbie that's here, I'm always like, now you own, now you own this culture. And the next you know new employee that starts here you own that culture to them and to make them feel just as welcome as we're making you feel right now, and it works.
0: Yes. Um, Rich those are hard acts to follow, uh, what do you bring to the table on employee engagement. Charles, it seems like you keep putting
4: me at the end, so I don't know if that's quite fair, but uh, I'll, 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 submit a, I'll submit a complaint. Well, the last question—we're we're,
0: we're almost up to our last question. I promise you are going to uh, be leading off.
4: I'm like trying to search out stuff that they haven't talked about, so that's fair enough. No, but look. So I'm going to come at it this way: is engagement is connection, simply and um you either as an employee you either connect to your role because it's unique and you like it and you're good at it and you can't find it somewhere else you connect to your team because it's a group of people that you are you, you just it's unique um you like them you appreciate them they appreciate you there's a connection it's a group and you feel like you can't find it somewhere else or you connect to your boss because of the relationship what he or she gives you Um, the direction, you like each other, there's mutual respect, and you feel like you can't get it somewhere else. Now, you don't have to connect to all three of them. I know that I never have connected to all three of them at the same time, but I will tell you, over the past 26 years, I've connected to my role only, I've connected to my team only, and I've connected to my boss only. And so that kind of moves around throughout a career. And I think that as an organization, you just have to create a framework and an opportunity for the employees to have connections in those particular ways. They can be um, they can be you know passive. Uh, they can be mandatory. They can be programmatic, or they can just kind of be ad hoc. I mean, you know, there's there's the you know the things we talk about the theme potluck lunches and the boxes and the sports pools and the award shop. I mean, those are all really really good. But you can also have all that stuff and have no connection. And so I think that it's just mm. important that as leaders to really identify the individual as an individual and to try to figure out what their connection to the to the picture is. Um, because, as we all know, life changes and connection points and wants and needs change along with that. So um, for sure, the book clubs and the podcast, I mean, all those things are really, really important but I know that I've had those in the past and they've done nothing for me from a connection perspective. That's not what's kept me. Now, with that said, you really have to have those. Otherwise, you know, you become an outlier and that's not good either.
1: Sure,
0: Tom, thoughts on this?
1: Oh, great, uh, great comments. Uh, uh, both a <clears throat> lot, lot of great uh, tactical ideas <clears throat> and a uh, lot of great uh, connections as, uh, or a uh, 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 more global management Uh, but we did have a question in the chat i don't know if you want to um well you know
0: what tom could we just hold off on that let me ask we do have one last question and Ah. we're nearing the uh 1250 uh, eastern standard time mark where we are going to open it up for Ah. the q a so i think we have time for one last question should we do the personality profiles question or the skill development question
1: the uh let's do the skill development sure
0: um, training is really about skill development, about inculcating skills that help an employee become a professional sales executive or a professional recruiter. Rich, I am going to ask you this first: <laughs> What is your company, Rich?
4: Well, yeah. I happened—I happened to Google this, Charles, right before yes. the right before this meeting, and I pulled up some best practices. No. Um, <laughs> No, super important. I mean, and like I said, that we talked about earlier, this is one of the key things everybody needs, right? And they need to feel like that they have a good understanding with it. With that said, is it's just really important that before they even get onboarded, is that we need to make sure that they understand what the role is. Because I find some of my greatest angst before is that we would have people that would leave after 30 days because they had no sense of what the mm. role really was. Now, Jerry, you talked about earlier the job shadow kind of flushes that out, and that's awesome. That's really good to do. But what is the role? What are the you know, and what are the expectations? And have you created a method of open and often communication on performance and competency gaps? So I think that's the standard. But I think the methods really, it's just you know, you have staff meetings, right? You know, on a frequent basis. We do it on a weekly basis. We have, obviously, uh, board meetings, right, to to, to check out the activity of what's moving through the pipeline. I also do, and I've done this in my current role, and I've done this in my previous role, quarterly one-on-one alignment meetings. I think those are really important, and those meetings are really just, you know, do you have what you need? You know, do you have the resources? Do you have the development? Do you have the, you know, the access? Do you have the culture? I mean, everything that you need to be successful? So I don't make this about me kind of leading in, it, but what's not a performance meeting, but just do you guys have what you need on on a one-on-one basis? We do a quarterly team development meetings where we identify transactions, you know, throughout the past quarter that were unique or different and we kind of flush those out. Mm-hmm um but you know most coaching really it's ongoing it's on time right um hip to hip or ear to ear depends on where they're working um but i think the big thing is is just as a leader no matter at what level is get engaged and get involved in the deals right because that's where the real you know again about that connection we're talking about but that's where the real
0: development comes from right um, we only have a couple of minutes before we get to the Q&A, but Jerry, since uh, you were name-checked in Rich's answer, uh, maybe you should respond. Sorry, sure.
2: Yeah, I would agree with Rich too, in the sense that it's got to be a nice, healthy combination. Again, for sales reps, right, yes, we have lots of videos, we have sales lifecycle training, we have classroom training. But sales reps learn a lot in the field so we still do lots of training and development in the field i always say nothing's better than a sales leader where they can be training their sales rep and bringing in revenue at the same time love it right
0: yeah for sure Kayla?
2: for sure and depending oh, on
0: sorry.
2: oh go ahead season on season right it just it takes a while to learn the industry and and it can keep working on the on
3: the one-on-one development for sure uh
0: uh kayla
3: yeah. So just to piggyback on that, um, we have a shadow uh, management process that we've rolled out for both sales and recruiting, uh, because what we identified is that they were coming out of our training programs and we were like, great, that was 12 weeks well spent. And uh, and our team leads weren't necessarily getting as far into the weeds like simple stuff hey, you've got 700 tabs open on your computer. So it makes sense that you can't find anything because nobody could. You know, Just making some of those fine tune tweaks on organization and time management and just really getting under the hood and and assessing that in a uh, very individualized and focused basis um, every single week. So they choose one person um, every week and they spend roughly six hours with that person. Um, That um, really causes them to identify any gaps that they may have but also um, really make a, a huge investment and a, and a big impact on um, future success out of that training program. Um, we've also differentiated our learning, um, which I think is really important um, based on their sphere attainment. So like I said, we measure everybody by their biweekly GP um, and we categorize them by different spheres. And what we've recognized is that um, someone who is at our lower sphere uh, needs a different type of training and reinforcement. Than and people who are at our top spheres. So, our top spheres may be focused on selling more complex um, and long cycle deals. And our, our folks at our lower spheres might need help just following up on a submittal or um, working on their interview preps or things like that. So, um, by segmenting them out by their um, different ring attainment, um, it's allowed us to create more meaningful training, um, which then allows them to be more engaged um, in those sessions.
0: Uh, great. Thanks so much for being concise with these uh, last answers because we are now exactly at the 1250 mark. So, Tom, uh, at a minimum, we're uh, managing our uh, time like champs. Um, In any case, so the Q&A, you said that a question came through the uh, chat, um, if you would, Tom.
1: Yeah, uh, the question is, uh, we have had challenges with making offers either uh, relative to the market someone resides in or relative to where they could work since they are remote, but it often seems unfair to pay San Francisco or New York salaries to someone in Sheboygan. Uh, What advice do you have on this? Rich, you're shaking your head.
4: Uh, So listen, Jerry's in Wisconsin as well. So there's (laughs) nothing wrong with anybody who would want to live and work in Sheboygan or Wisconsin. Uh, so I, you know, look, I don't know what the standard practice is. It, it that, I, I mean, to me, it's you pay them where they are, right? I mean, otherwise, everybody would be applying to jobs in Zurich. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like you know, you you pay them where they are, and um,
1: so you find you find out what the pay scales, the salary scales are in these different geographical areas, and and then that's what the the salary yeah. level is
2: sounds like they probably need a little education right the cost of living is definitely not apples to apples there but yeah you pay them what you pay everybody else in northern
1: wisconsin
3: i think two schools of thought um i recently been talking to some of my friends who are in the software as a service um, space and work um work for some big name companies that we would all recognize and um one of them has a, a very uh different approach where they say hey we don't care where you live we'll pay you salaries that we pay on the west coast or on the east coast and you can live in dallas texas or sheboygan wisconsin or anywhere in between and and we don't care Um, and another company does give um, differentials based on on the markets where they're located Um, for us we give uh, different pay based upon the markets where we're located and it's worked well for us Um, But we are pretty market centric um, in terms of where we're geographically located. So we don't have too many remote workers outside of our key markets.
4: I mean, I think what's interesting about that, just as uh, you know, time will tell what this remote thing winds up being. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think for sure we're not going to wind up back to where we were before. I think the industry has proven that it can do well in remote scenarios and remote with remote roles. But what a mess! If somehow this kind of resets back, and you've got people spread out all over the place on different (laughs) different pay scales, Mm
3: -hmm.
4: you know. But I don't
3: know.
4: It'd be interesting. I mean, Kayla, I totally get it. Especially as you know, SaaS companies. I mean, they can do anything, right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's not going to be any more challenging than this crazy labor market we're living to right now, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Um, I see another question uh, bubbled up on chat. What one piece of advice would you offer to a new sales manager or recruiting manager?
1: You guys are thinking way too hard.
3: (laughs) Well, I think the thing, the first thing that popped into my mind is what got you here won't get you there. Um, And it was a very hard, mental leap to go from being an individual contributor to being a manager of teams and um, arguably one of the most challenging things that I've ever done in my career, one of the most rewarding, uh, but also one of the most challenging. Um, And so um, spending a lot of time investing in yourself um, and in your development um, as it relates to books and podcasts and um, really having a good team of mentors, I would say, um people that you respect and identify different strengths in um, each of them as you're formulating your own philosophy towards management and leadership. Um, you may take different things from different individuals. And so I think it's really important to have a well-rounded and balanced group of folks to lean on.
0: Rich
3: uh, Oh oh Rich, Rich goes before we
4: Oh wow. Oh no. Oh, go ahead. Jerry. Yes. You seem like you had something queued up. I'm still searching. Yes.
2: <laughs> I, I love Kayla's answer because, right, being a leader is very different than being uh, the actual producer. And I always say, think back about when you, like you talked about, the people that you enjoyed working for and why, right? So that you can create that in your leadership role. You know, it's a fine line to hold people accountable, right? Because that's why you're in management, but also to have them enjoy their job every day, right? And keep them and retain them and keep them producing right so it's it's like find that healthy balance and you'll enjoy your job and then the people will enjoy working for you
4: yeah i think same i mean for me it's the adage you want to go fast go alone you want to go far go together and i think it's the transformation in realizing that um, there's a greater bigger good with a group than it is by yourself. And that was the hardest thing that I had to learn as I went off my own individual producing desk. Um, and I found you know, the successful people that were leaders were realizing that the effort that they put in early on with their new hires and their new teams pays dividends, not only in results, but also in the ease of results down the road. Um, But you have to, you got to transfer that energy and that performance to the group and you got to support them and maybe just get out of their way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. By the way, we have one last question, which is actually quite a good one. Unfortunately, we're out of time. That question is what was your worst hire and what did you learn from that hire? So um, (laughs) I guess we're going to have to have you guys back uh, to answer that pressing uh, question. It's actually quite a good one. Uh, but we are nearing the one o'clock mark. So I just wanna thank uh, the panel that was uh, excellent. And I wanna thank everyone for joining us today on this, our maiden panel cast. Uh, Tom, I know you wanted uh, to say several words in closing.
1: Oh, just that the great fight for internal talent. None of us have lived through any kind of a labor market that we're living through. Gosh, some great, just a couple of great ideas. The power of the run rate gosh i'm going to be thinking about that uh, in my compensation consulting work uh, culture in the hands of our employees and uh, and connection, what can we do to increase connect just three if, if, if anybody that's listening here if they just uh, the, just focus on those three three things, big big three big takeaways for us so uh, great uh, great discussion today. Yeah, for sure. Again, thanks
0: everybody for um, joining us, participating. Uh, this panel cast will be available later this week for anyone wanting to relive this experience and uh, to share it. And I, w- I just want to close by thanking Essential Staff Care for their sponsorship of this series, Staffing in Sync Conversations with the leading, st- with the industry's top thought leaders on today's most pressing and important staffing and business issues produced by SyncStream, providers of automated compliance solutions. Join us next month for an equally lively panel
1: discussion. Thanks for joining us. See you soon. Thanks, guys.